and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal Engine and also waiting for Godot or Godot or Godot. We're your hosts. My name's Alex, and this is. I'm Jacob. <laughs> welcome back to another episode. We're, we're excited to do this one. We're a little bit behind on the big news. The big news. We'll Which big news could we be talking about? There's so much of it. I know. Well, I, I guess, you know, a week ago would have been different big news. Oh, sorry. I started scrolling. Would have been different big news. Um, but, you know, we got some interesting topics to talk about today. What, what are we talking about, Alex? Well, the, the news that we uh, are lagging uh, the most on is probably just, hey, Unreal Engine 5.3 came out. It's been so long. I mean, for all I know, 5.4 is probably right around the corner, the way these engine releases are happening these days. So I uh, certainly want to spend some time going through the release notes and commenting on all the fun new goodies we have at our disposal there. What else are we going to talk about, Jacob? We're going to talk about the Unity drama. <gasps> this was uh, a very fun piece of contentious uh, conversation throughout the Twitterverse in particular this past week. Unity changing their subscription model, everything going up in flames. You know, a normal week. Yeah. Surprisingly, I, I checked on their stock price. Not much difference, like at least since that uh, happened. Like you'd think that. Uh... It's, it's like the capitalists <laughs> were trying to figure out if like in the end they made money, you know? Yeah, right. It's like, oh, I guess it seems like that's going to make Unity more money. So good for stock price. Uh. Yeah, like there aren't any lawsuits yet. Yeah. No. All right. But let's but. hold that for the second part of the chat. Like we'll we'll hold people in suspense for our, you know, I'm sure very well-informed, intelligent thoughts about uh, that whole debacle. But we're going to start with the, the oatmeal, the very tasty instant apple cinnamon oh. maple oatmeal, oatmeal. of uh, Unreal Engine 5.3 release notes. I was trying to say, like, you got to have your, you know, meal before the you meat, have dessert. The meat and potatoes. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, the, yeah. the oatmeal. Uh, what, is, what is oatmeal about? Meat and potatoes sounds like a better analogy. I like that. Yeah. All right. So let's pull it up. Um, we're learning yes. all the controls. We are we are sans uh, Alan, sans Vikas today. So we are trying to operate this newfangled studio for anyone watching this on YouTube uh, for the oh, first time on our own. Watch this without um, triggering any sort of uh, content abuse. I think it's fine. Maybe just turn down the audio and we can just comment over it. So what yeah. we're doing for our audio only listeners is we're playing the 5.3 feature highlights video. And uh, we'll just we'll give a bit of a running commentary over it. So um, look, full screen. a house in yeah, the woods. Here's the amazing cloth simulation using like the ML deformer stuff. It's a running mannequin. We've got ortho, ortho, orthographic <laughs> architectural scenes, uh, cinematic quality, volumetric rendering. Looks really, really good. We got some crazy awesome. explosions, wow. open VDB, sparse volume texture things. These from Django. Cinematic quality, volumetric rendering, yeah. Yeah, tornadoes. That looks pretty awesome. Yeah, I have so many comments on all these things. Uh, cinematic quality, volume rendering, the path tracing stuff. Jacob's nemesis yeah. path tracer looking really good with its explosions and smoke. That looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're clearly going in a loop here. Or something like Didn't that. Yeah. That? Oh no, no, we're back. So, all right, all right. Yeah, they're just they're doing a little bit slower. Yeah, and the orthographic rendering, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, it's been there in the matinee cam forever, but they just added it to the cinema cam. Skeletal editor, this stuff is super cool. You know, stay in Unreal Engine, no need to go to your other DCC, and uh, yeah, paint your weights and, and change the actual mesh data. 
Um, here's the new Chaos Panel Cloth Editor. Uh, really amazing how natural this is now for. Yeah, which is really. We got lots to talk about here. Yep. Yeah, maybe no reason to go to MetaHuman or uh, not MetaHuman, uh, Marvelous Designer anymore, since you can. Yeah, wow, look at that. Panel. Yeah. Looks like a cozy sweater. Simpty twenty one ten. We've talked about this a few times. Yep. Some exciting stuff for in camera VFX and virtual production. Mm-hmm. We're watching a, a pretty nice shot of that procedurally generated forest from GDC this year. Electric dreams. Yeah, and this is cool. So we're also seeing here uh, two different camera shots happening on a single stage. I don't think that was possible before. Oh. Look at that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So the Cinecamera rig rail has been a, a tool in a, for a while in Unreal Engine, and now they're just making yeah. it uh, a little more color-coded to help with noting like when you're doing a particularly harsh turn uh, if you want to keep like everything looking like nice and smooth the entire time your camera's moving you might want all that to be the same color our old friend vcam here you can actually review shots now directly from the vcam app that's new it's pretty awesome look at that yeah love the that doesn't demo. look like unreal right there i know <laughs> yeah so I've, I've definitely seen this, multi-process cook. I've noticed Whoa. my cooks are going so much faster now. Like I've been building heavy Unreal Engine 5.3 scenes in like 10 minutes. And uh, that's pretty awesome. You need a powerful cool. enough you know, CPU for that, but yeah, it's great. And then I think they're just kind of looping through some of the stuff again, sparse volume textures. Yeah, awesome. learn more. That, that's the highlight. Yeah. Unreal, well, you know, we, I, I don't think I've ever gone to that website. Up, I don't think I've ever gone to that website before. UnrealEngine.com slash updates. That's a website, apparently. <laughs> I'm very interested in this multi-process cook. I, this was not something that I realized was in here. Um, what's the deal with it? It's <laughs> Literally, all I can tell you is uh, my cooks happen a lot faster now. I don't know if there's any way to, like... Get into the it wasn't single threaded networks. before. I, I don't understand. Oh, I guess I thought it may, maybe I thought it was single threaded, but I, I've done no research on it. I just can tell you my cooks are happening faster now than they used to. Oh, okay. Maybe it was parts of it were single threaded. This, this I, I kept seeing the cine camera rails pop up a bunch. And I'm like, that's not new. Like, right. Like, They're just adding you're nice saying it's color, just coding. The color coding. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like the yellow, it's like oh, a bit of a harsher, you know, kind of movement. Or actually, you know what? I think the color, sorry, I don't think the color is the bending. Maybe the color is the speed at which you're moving along the rail. I don't know. I need to play with it more. Um, but it is something very cool to play with. A lot of people don't know that in the virtual scouting, the VR, uh, editor that you get if you just use the virtual production template you can actually lay down dolly track this has been true for a while in vr which is actually very cool so you're kind of like in vr and you're like maybe from here to here to here and you lay down a dolly track to kind of follow your path and you might be at like a god scale you know doing it like you're laying a little model train track kind of thing that's really fun yeah i i Kept looking at that announcement, being like, "What? What is that about? I, I don't get it." But I guess I guess that makes sense. It's just the difference between the camera rail, camera rig rail, and the cine camera rig rail. It's just it's like the Apple, you know, it's like the iPhone 15 Pro Max <laughs> sure. of cine camera rails. Yeah. 
And by the way, I just so everyone knows, that uh, rig rail, super useful for a lot of different things. Great for a camera, which of course is what it's designed for. But what if you've got uh, a metahuman and they've got a good looping walking animation and you want to have them kind of like explore the countryside? Rig rail, great way to do that. Just the same way you'd set up a camera and maybe like align it to move along the rail. You do that with your metahuman and it looks like they're just having a nice little walk and it's a very organic way to place that kind of path around. Do you know, do you know if that's how like twin motion does it? Probably. Yeah. Something like that. I'm sure twin they just draw lines and yeah. yeah, twin motion is like a very simplified wizardy version of that. Yeah. We can. All right, let's let's get to the full list here. I have yeah, this sure. pulled up. Let's let's chat about some stuff. So we already did a little preview of of five point three when we first got the feature release. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this we've already spoken about. Are there any big highlights here you want to dive into, Alex? Um, for me, of course, it's always going to be the VR things and just pointing out that it feels much more stable, of course, than it did in the preview. That should be no surprise. Uh, definitely a surprise how quickly it came out. Um, those of us who have been using Unreal for a while might also remember that there used to be preview one, preview two, sometimes all the way to preview four or five. And now lately it's like preview one, release. <laughs> so it happens yeah. pretty fast. Um, I'm going to pull up the portal release notes as well. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I did, I should mention for our listeners that I did a two plus hour live stream uh, a couple Fridays ago where I kind of went through all the things that are exciting to me about 5.3, particularly with an eye toward VR. And the TLDR of all that is basically, there's a lot of things that you used to only see in one eye that starting in 5.3, you see in two eyes. There's a lot of things that now work with uh, instanced stereo rendering like Lumen and Nanite, and that speeds everything up. And uh, just in general, performance is, is looking a lot better. Part of that I think also has to do with the fact that there's been some refactoring to move a lot of the VR um, stuff uh the guts into uh, a new plugin which does make it a little bit difficult to upgrade some 5.2 plugins to 5.3 um it's called like uh vr yeah it's not xr scribe we'll talk about that in a second it's like um, vr base or something like that xr, XR base, base factor yeah. yeah that one yeah yep yeah, and one thing that's cool about this too, that's just part of this whole refactoring, is now there's some nice CVARs for um, enabling uh, dynamic foveated rendering, uh, including with eye tracking, which is very cool, which for those yeah. who don't know, it's when you're rendering more of just like the center of what you're actually looking at instead of everything, so you can get about a 30% gain in your performance. Um, quick note, as far as I know, the documentation here is still incorrect, still not updated. If you want to see the right CVARs for actually activating this, you do want to go back over to the uh, portal.productboard thing for 5.3. Yeah, just a, an FYI. These, these in here for the, yeah, the CVARs, I think, are not are not updated. Um, so Interesting. But yeah, I mean, uh, Nanite and Lumen are looking amazing. So I, I've been releasing these demos where you can use like the joystick to change the sun and you can shoot little balls that are, are glowing uh, with Lumen Global Illumination or Chrome uh, chrome Ball kind of reflections. And it makes these scenes look great. I've got the electric dream sample. I've got uh, tilt brush controls to scale up and scale down. Um, I did the Meerkat demo. It's really cool to look at the Meerkat demo. Yeah, I saw that. It's just happening right in front of you. Yeah, that's all really fun. Um, and 
Oh, something else that's quite nice too is it used to be that if you wanted to use Lumen Reflections, then you needed to lose, use Lumen GI. But hey, what if you're like not, what if you're doing a scene that doesn't need a lot of um, uh, light moving? You're like, no, 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 like I, I, I want to do baked lighting. Like I know exactly what I, what I want my scene to look like. I want to cut down on performance cost. Um, but yeah, I don't want to do screen space reflections and I don't want to do ray traced reflections because that's too expensive. Starting in 5.3, you can do a baked scene and then therefore in your post-process volume, you'd select none for your GI uh, and then you can actually do lumen reflections, which is quite nice and that's a nice performance gain. Um, a couple things that are not working yet with 5.3, uh, high quality translucent reflections are only visible in one eye. That's if you need like a window that has good reflections. Um, ray traced translucency um, is only in one eye. Or actually, it's it's not only in one eye. It's stretched. You you can see this problem even without being in VR. It does some really weird things if you see a glass object reflected in lumen reflections. That does some funky things, whether you're in raster mode or ray tracing mode. Um, sparse volume textures, all the incredible explosion wind stuff. Uh, that is only visible in one eye right now, but you know, that stuff's still experimental. So I understand that not quite being uh, ready yet. Um, one thing that's kind of cool too about the single pass stereo stuff is typically when you're doing anything with um, single pass anything is that's kind of like a full engine restart where everything recompiles. Um, but as, as is mentioned in the release notes that Jacob has pulled up on the screen, you can actually enable or disable that now with a CVAR, which is really good because you might find that there are instances where like, oh, Nanite's looking really funky right now. So you could literally just have like a trigger box where for that place where it's not behaving the way you expect, you like fall back to the way Nanite and Lumen used to work in VR. And then you get out of that post-process volume or whatever, and then you enable it again. So it's really nice to have that controllable via CVARs. Awesome. Yeah, I... So on the side here, I have, I'm scrolling through the full release notes, which are at the bottom of this document mm -hmm. to see how much stuff is just behind the scenes here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's pretty crazy looking at some of this stuff. Like I'm looking, for example, like uh, uh, Vulcan reach SM6 in this release, and I still haven't found any mention of it, which is oh, interesting. fascinating. I did some quick uh, Vulkan tests, um, both on Linux and Windows um, for desktop mode. And traditionally, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, a lot of times you're using Vulkan for like Android and things like that. Um, but yeah, the Windows mode, uh, and this is also great for like pixel streaming, like things in the cloud. Um, I found that Lumen uh, software ray tracing is looking great in Vulkan right now, but you can't do anything with desktop uh, ray tracing yet in Vulkan for, for Windows or Linux. Really? Yeah. In theory, it should. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I just can't find anything. Uh, one of the, the tools that actually doesn't get mentioned a whole lot also is Insights. Uh, do you yeah. use Unreal Insights? Well, as, a, as luck would have it, I actually just taught a, I taught a course for the first time the other day uh, on Unreal Engine optimization. So I needed to give myself a crash course in insights and um, I've used things like, uh, oh man, what's it called? Um, God, I'm already forgetting because it was all stored in my like, short-term memory. Um, I mean, the GPU profiler for sure. Render doc? 
Thank you, RenderDoc. Yes, like I, I used RenderDoc uh, for a little while a couple years ago and had to relearn how to do all that. Um, but yeah, I think Insights is great and they continue to add new features to that. That clearly is like where Unreal Engine, the Unreal Engine wants that to be like the one-stop shop for getting everything you need to know about your draw calls and what's taking up the most RAM and all that. Oh, there's, yeah, there's a few Vulcan things. Hmm. There we go. Yeah, Vulcan SM6. It would be an SM6. Yeah, wow. It's just like this one tiny little yeah. point. No big That's deal. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work <laughs> just to earn work. one little tiny line here. So, <laughs> by the way, Jacob, I so personally, I don't really know yeah. that much about the difference between Shader Model 5 and Shader Model 6. All I know is that at a certain point, it started being like, hey, if you want to use Nanite, you got to be using Shader Model 6. So I hit the checkbox and it you know recompiles everything. Uh, can you tell us right. any more about that? Yeah, so most of the features that you need for things like Nanite, um, like real-time ray tracing, um, like dynamic texture or geometry, you know, scaling, uh, usually just requires compute shaders um, or geometry shaders, I should say. Um, and so SM6, I mean, SM6 literally is... Inside of Unreal, when you generate a material and then, you know, you make a ch change to it and it says, oh, well, we have to recompile everything, right? Or has to, to bake out the, the materials. Um, what's happening is that it's actually getting compiled down into um, essentially one kind of monolithic shader, which is like the Unreal Engine underlying material system. Uh -huh. um, so SM5 is just the model that uh, like or or the the shader model that supports you know everything up till you know kind of real time ray tracing and beyond, and then SM6 is the most up to date shader model um, that supports those things like you know geometry shaders for nanite and um, you know like uh, all the features you need for like real time ray tracing and and performing those. Um, uh, interactions and, and stuff like that. So it's just it's just really a, a, an abstraction that's built into the engine um, to delineate the the different uh, shader models. The read is in like for example, um, like Vulcan or like for a long time you had to enable DirectX 12 is because DirectX 11 just doesn't support things like geometry shaders. It doesn't support real time ray tracing. Um, so you had to enable DirectX 12 because the shader, the, that monolithic shader that everything gets compiled down to, um, was only really supported in DirectX 12. Um, and now it's supported on Vulkan, which is a big deal because Vulkan is a cross-platform um, graphics API. So DirectX is owned by Microsoft. It only runs on Windows right? Um, uh, or Windows-like machines, I should say. Um, but Vulkan will run on, on anything. Uh, and so, um, it's a big deal that it's kind of reached that, that level of maturity inside of the engine. Cause it means for cross platform stuff, um, you know, it's, it's going to unlock a lot of function functionality that just wasn't there or was limited to like your options previously were you could use Vulkan, but you could get SM5, you couldn't get SM6. Um, or you could use OpenGL for a lot of platforms. And a lot of people went with OpenGL because it meant that like it was going to look the same on all platforms and it was well known and 
in theory, all OpenGL should be deprecated by now, but it's not always the case. So okay. Vulcan, you know, yeah, I'm going on and on, but um, this That's is all. an exciting, exciting thing. Yes, fantastic, amazing. And uh, I want the audience who's watching YouTube to see my face right now. Uh, this is the face of someone who is absolutely stunned because piggybacking on everything Jacob just said, I just made a discovery in the Unreal Engine public roadmap, which was not there. Uh, typically these roadmaps, they're like set, you know, months in advance of when something is released. But Jacob, if you would be so good as to pull I, up. I most certainly will. <laughs> There's a new edition added September 5th, um, which is very interesting. Most of the stuff on this roadmap for 5.3 are posted from May or February. And there's one little thing. All wait, the way wait, to let, the me, bottom. let me see. If, uh, yeah, let me see if I can find it. <laughs> it's all the way down here. All the way to the bottom. Further down, further down. Hey, folks, Alex Coulomb, pardon the interruption. Uh, we're going to jump ahead a little bit because right at this moment when Jacob and I were live scrolling down to the bottom of the product board, we encountered something that I was later told by Epic was actually a bit of a mistake on their part. It's something that is going to be revealed very shortly. Uh, we just can't talk about it yet. So sorry for the tease. Uh, we're going to jump ahead and hope to talk more about what we saw here soon. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, speaking of, of Apple and all this fun stuff, first of all, I should say, uh, I've never been an Apple fanboy. My last Apple computer was a Macintosh in 1995, and I only got an iPhone. Uh, my, my very first iPhone is the one I have now, and I got it because I felt like Google dropped the ball with Daydream and their interest in VR, and I saw that at least uh, Apple was doing interesting things with AR. Uh, that being said, I do have an iPhone 15 Pro on the way, and that is mostly because of their announcement about spatial video. Uh, being a VR guy, yeah. this is very exciting to me. And for those who don't know, they announced that they are going to do this thing. I think in our Apple Vision Pro episode, we actually commented on how weird it was to have the Apple Vision Pro on yeah. your head and record your family's most important moments. So it makes <laughs> way more sense that the iPhone 15 is like, yeah, record it with that, like a normal person, and then play it back on the Apple Vision Pro. So I want to make sure I have a chance to amply test this out, compare it to some of the uh, like VR 180 cameras we have at my studio, and uh, and just see how that feels. Because if it's really high quality, sharp, spatial video, you know, we should really just call it 3D stereo video. Um, I mean, I'm assuming that's essentially what it is. If there's more to it than that, then amazing, super cool. Maybe the AI is going to be used to add like additional depth and make it more three-dimensional instead of just a left and right eye view. But I really do want to see what's happening with that. Um, yeah. Ad additionally, I think we need to mention, um, I'm just going to type in something into my browser so I can quote this properly. Um, so people have been wondering for a while uh, if Epic Games is going to have any kind of Apple Vision Pro support. Again, we mentioned this in our episode that right off the bat, Apple was announcing a big Unity partnership, like there's a simulator for Unity and a native SDK and like all these things that people can use to jump right into simulating and testing yeah, out uh, building their Apple Vision Pro apps. Yes, here we go. Um, on, uh, on, on their Unity projects. Um, and we'll talk more about Unity in a moment. Don't worry. But Victor Lerp, uh, real name Victor Broden, who works at Epic Games and, and is the owner of things like the VR template, started as a community manager, now has uh, taken ownership of a lot of great things inside Unreal. He uh, did this official post 
which says, I've been getting a few questions about this recently, so I want to chime back in on the thread to clarify. This is part of a, a thread in the Unreal Engine forums where people are chiming in about their fear that Apple Vision Pro won't work with Unreal Engine. And he says, officially, Internally, we're exploring native Unreal Engine support for Apple Vision Pro, but it's too early for us to share details on the extent of support or timelines. Two, we have access to the public SDKs just like everyone else, and there's nothing fundamentally stopping us or you from developing support or shipping Apple Vision Pro applications with Unreal Engine. So what's that mean to you, right. Jacob? Well, I, this was more or less what I, I kind of felt from, from the get-go, is that yeah. there wasn't going to be any press about this, like, because, uh, you know, I think Epic doesn't really want to amplify Apple's platform more <laughs> sure. than they have to. Yeah. Um, but it, it seemed clear to me, like, yeah, that they, you can't exclude them from the platform if you're going to open it up to any developer, right? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's Epic's customers mm -hmm. that are going to be leveraging the tool to build for the Apple platform. And, and, like you can't just block off a whole list of developers just because they're using a tool that, you know, you don't particularly like, right? Yeah. So like, you know, can Epic publish an application to Apple Vision Pro? That's up to Apple. They have the discretion there, right? They, they can, they can go to court again. Okay. But in terms of like developers who are using Unreal Engine and want to use it to build an app for Apple Vision Pro, yeah, it, it seems like this this was the 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 solution right it's just like yeah they'll they'll support it like or it'll be some community plugin or mm -hmm. who knows but it'll be there uh, i i have a lot of confidence in that yeah yeah it, i it is interesting how many people have still pushed back even at this announcement saying but there's no way that apple's going to allow their platform to run you know epic games things and it's like pretty sure that's illegal if they like actively blocked it right yeah yeah you can't yeah you can't just make exceptions like that um it, yeah it doesn't work that way but uh I'm, I'm very happy to see that it's confirmed um and yeah i, I mean we saw that in the release notes too something about apple vision right um, like preliminary support or, or somewhere? Oh, I don't know if they put it in the release notes. I mean, there there was a GitHub um, thing about it, just like a GitHub push. Um, uh, let me let, let's find out release notes Apple Vision Pro five out three. Just see if anything comes up. Um, I'm not seeing anything. But yeah, in any case, um, any other big things we want to highlight about five dot three? It's a nice release. Um, I've well, been, what's 5.4 look like, Alex? Five, so I, I, it's funny. I've had 5.4 continually updating on my computer over here, and I have not yeah. even like opened it. So I've been, I've spent probably ten thousand gigabytes of like internet bandwidth just continually updating uh, 5.4, and have not even opened it once. But yeah, I'm curious to pop in and see like if there's anything obviously new and exciting. I mean, we can always uh, browse the thousands of commit messages um, exactly <laughs> there has to be someone who's yeah. doing that like they literally just spend all their time looking at every because there's like there's something like 50 new commits maybe more to uh the unreal engine like main branch every day um so yeah, yeah I mean, there's, I'm there's sure. no 5.4 release branch yet it's just main Ma yeah but it is 5.4 like the main branch is 5.4 
Right, right, but mm-hmm. it's yeah. nine thousand one hundred and three commits ahead. <laughs> so that's a lot Something. more than fifty commits a day. Yeah, it's a it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's an incredible amount of stuff in here. There'd be no way to. There's two thousand pull requests. Yeah, there's just simply no way to to handle this. Oh, DLSS three. Here's a pull request for DLSS three. So if you yeah. want that, yeah, yeah. So floor. um. By the way, I, I feel like I should mention, maybe I already did mention this, but uh, I, I've been working with a developer who goes by Battleaxe VR. Uh, his name's Bella, really talented developer. And he, for a project we were working on, he upgraded the NVIDIA DLSS 3.5, uh, 5.2 Unreal Engine plugin to 5.3. And it's working great. It's fantastic. Um, now it becomes an interesting EULA question where it's like, I want to share this with everyone, but like, I don't know how okay it is for me to like redistribute a modified version of, uh, un- uh of NVIDIA's, you know, DLSS plugin. Do you have any thoughts on that, Jacob? Uh, I, I wouldn't is my <laughs> response. Sure. Uh, because you, the, the problem is not you just like giving the code over to someone, right? Yeah. Like that could be a coworker, that could be anything. It's what if they go and try to make a profit off of that? Right. You're then probably in some way liable for redistributing software Yep. for, for profit, right? Um, so probably not worth the shake on that one, got to say. Yeah, that makes sense. But I would talk to a lawyer. <laughs> I don't want to. That's too much work and expensive. Um, yeah, that Wait, makes a lot yeah, of sense. Right. And I have, by the way, when I upload my free demos uh, for Unreal, inevitably I find them posted uh, by reposted by other people. I usually just make these things like a public Google Drive or Dropbox link, and then I find people who have like downloaded it and then put it behind a paywall, and then they're you know making money by people downloading my stuff, uh, which is a little bit sad. But what are you gonna do? Sue them, I is, guess. Um, you get your lawyers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Is MetaQuest 3 out? It's going to come no, out, yeah. Right. So so right before Unreal Fest, um, I think starting on like September 27th, uh, which is like a week from when we're recording now, there will be uh, MetaQuest... Meta, sorry, uh, MetaConnect, formerly called Oculus Connect, used to be a wonderful gathering of people uh, in San Jose to talk about all the latest VR things coming out. Now they have, <laughs> from what I'm told, I'm just repeating what I'm told, that they have invited a select group of sycophants <laughs> to come to the actual <laughs> physical location, but everyone else has to watch it virtually. And uh, it's when they'll inevitably announce that MetaQuest 3, you know, is available for pre-orders and shipping and uh, the ru- the word on the street is quest 3 will be available by like october 10th so pretty quickly that people are going to be able to get their hands on that yeah and yes and if you go to um the unreal engine integration page for um uh meta um it actually in the latest plugin that they released like a couple weeks ago like even there it now allows you to support uh meta quest 3 as an really? option yeah nice. and same thing on the unity side too i saw it in both places and i'm sure a lot of that just has to do with the fact that there's a lot of developers out in the wild who already have the devices so you know um good for them uh oh also one other thing i wanted to mention on the roadmap and we might have mentioned this before because this was announced uh here on june 7th but um support for nanite on apple m2 devices unreal engine 5.3 brings beta support for nanite rendering technology on apple silicone m2 devices um, enabled by default. So that's kind of cool because that wasn't true before. Now, yeah, here's a question. I, I, 
Do we yeah. think the Apple Vision Pro is an M2 chip or something else? Uh, well, it is an M2 chip. Mm. That's known, right? So oh, okay. uh, Apple Vision Pro, I want to say it's the, um, You're right. that's an Apple M2 and an R1. It's yeah. both. So cool. in theory, you would think that, but of course, you know, we just got support for Nanite properly in OpenXR. Um, presumably, I, I don't know. I can't remember the videos. I, I assume the Apple Vision Pro supports um, OpenXR to some extent. I mean, not officially. Like, yeah, you would hope because their own S, it's like their own app environment and everything, yeah. right? Yeah, I hope they at least do the bare minimum of like, please at least make all the finger joints like named to the same thing that they are in all the OpenXR applications that have hand tracking. Like if you're not gonna use OpenXR, yeah. don't deviate from some of these standards just to deviate from them. Um, that, that'll drive me crazy. Yeah, well, they probably <laughs> will. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it seems like M2 should support some of those features. That's pretty nice. Um, one would wonder why they've been putting all this effort into Apple Silicon support in the first place. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> given that they're not very happy with, with Apple. Yeah. Um, but pretty I, interesting. It'd be, it'd be lovely. I don't think it's going to happen, but it'd be lovely to see a little like, uh, announcement with Tim Sweeney and Tim Cook, like shaking hands and being like, ah, Tim's got to get along. Like, let's not fight anymore. Nah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Remember? Uh, there, I would love that, but. There was the, the announcement that Steve Jobs did years ago at some big Apple event where he had like a big, you know, Zoom video of Bill Gates behind him being like, our newest benefactor. And it was just, boo, Bill Gates, boo. But, you know, yeah. I think Apple and Microsoft have had kind of a nice, uh, uneasy partnership over the years. And. It's it's nice to see that kind of cooperation among these tech giants. Yeah, it it happens. It happens. Um, I think this one's probably gonna last a bit longer, though. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the, this the kind of other big topic we have. We're already well into our episode. Yeah. The only thing I'm gonna say uh, very yeah. quickly about the, actually this will come up in my shout outs at the end, but another cool thing that I've gotten to play with a lot more in 5.3 is the exponential height fog stuff, including uh, local height fog, which is a little bit more clustered. Um, everything related to fog right now in 5.3 just looks absolutely beautiful. So just play with that, get some sun shining around and uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised, especially if you can look at it in VR. Okay, <laughs> let's get to our, our gossip column of the week. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to pull up the original announcement. Oh, um, boy. Has it been removed? <laughs> uh, maybe. I'm hoping I can find something on Google Images that just has their spiel on it. Um, okay, well, here here's the diagram. I was hoping to find the actual announcement. All right, this is just some random site, too. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. All right, if you haven't heard this, I don't, you're probably living under a rock or something. I don't know. Uh, that's rude. A but... Hopefully a nanite rock, at least. Yeah, hopefully at least polygons. has some, you know, like deformation or something <laughs> on that. Um, all right. So Uni came out and says, 
Well, okay. A few things happen at the same time. First of all, they go into their Git repo where they track their EULAs. And the night before this announcement, update the Git repo to remove content from it that would be contrary to this announcement, right? So they, they actively modify their legal agreements on the fly in the one place where someone could track. <laughs> Brilliant. First of all, right? Like, you know what? We're going to use this well-known versioning software to show you that we've made this change. I don't know what they're thinking there. All right. First things first. Next thing they do, they say is, we're having a hard time meeting ends meet. So you know what we're going to do? is we're going to introduce a new model. And the new model has this insane metric that everyone is freaking out about, which is they're going to charge per install over some threshold revenue, um, you know, uh, some, some you know, th threshold over a, a revenue cutoff, whatever, right? And immediately, everyone freaks the fuck out. And then it's clearly identified that this is retroactive. So this is for games that are already out there, already been released. They're going to retroactively change the pricing model. Yeah. So if you've already released your game, it's been out for a few years, all of a sudden, if you are past this revenue threshold, which again, I believe is measured retroactively, you have to pay every time it gets installed. And then the obvious thing is they did not answer what it meant to be an install. They kind <laughs> and that of answered was... it. They said it's our it's our own proprietary data model. And, you know, trust us, bro. And so <laughs> everything goes up in flames, right? Because everyone's like, First of all, how could you do this? How could you go back and change your EULA and call this retroactive? Like, are, are you saying that at any moment you could change your licensing on me and fuck over all the work that I've done? Like, hell no. <laughs> and then they use this very vague metric of installs that they have to clarify in the coming days easily a dozen times, right? Because at the, I, I don't know what how this happens. But apparently no one at Unity's thought, okay, maybe we should probably like sure up this whole like install idea so that we can have answers ready. None of that, right? <laughs> and so everyone's just freaking the fuck out. What, what's, what's your take here, Alex? My take is this is a, one of the biggest faux pas ever made by a company, but also like we, we've talked a little bit on the podcast before about the perils of being a public company. You know, when you have to answer to shareholders uh, for quarterly profits and you can't take a long-term vision and you can't necessarily prioritize your customers and your users the same way you are prioritizing the people who just want to see a return on investment. And that's one of the things that is great about Unreal Engine. It is not a public company and they, you know, maybe Tencent like nudges them sometimes because they've got a big investment in there, but like it doesn't seem like a company that is being poked and prodded by whiny shareholders who are mad that the last quarter's earnings weren't what they expected. 
Um, so yeah, this seems like John Riccatello, again, former CEO of Electronic Arts at the time when Electronic Arts was consistently voted the worst company in America to work for, to, you know, deal with in any capacity, um, is, is currently the CEO of Unity. And it seems like the kind of thing that he would do. Also worth noting, he has not personally responded to any of this. He's off on his private island somewhere doing his own thing. Um, but yeah, the two the two major thoughts I have on this is it's fine to say, hey, we need to like make more money on our game engine and we're going to start doing it with the next engine release, like starting with Unity 2024, like things are going to change. If you don't like it, feel free to keep using the previous versions of Unity. That's essentially how Unreal Engine works. Every version of Unreal has a EULA specific to that engine version, right. and you're not that's, bound that's by anything new. That's how software releases <laughs> yeah. work. Right, right. Like, this is that's standard. That's, <laughs> any court of law would <laughs> not assume that when you purchase software for any reason that you can change the underlying pricing structure that is like grifting that you know that's like uh <laughs> like i pay you 10 bucks for something for for like you know uh, uh i don't know a, a nice meal you hand me the meal and i'm halfway through eating it it's like well the second half is going to cost you a lot more right, like, <laughs> right. that's not how that works <laughs> you, you can't do that once someone has has purchased into an agreement you can't change that right yeah and it's absolutely ridiculous that they they would try to pull that yeah. um, with uh, simultaneously with such a large change a large and vague change to their you know uh, so here is the language I realize it's in this oh, article man. I want to read this go ahead so we are introducing a unity runtime fee that is based upon each time a qualifying game is downloaded by an end user we chose this because each time a game is downloaded the unity runtime is also installed also, we believe that an initial install-based fee allows creators to keep, and assuming this is the original language, there's no comma there, right? So, also we believe that an initial install-based fee allows creators to keep the ongoing financial gains from player engagement, unlike a revenue share. All right. Yeah. Uh, so what they're saying is that it, it poorly punctuated. Um, <laughs> that assuming you're just being charged the first time it's installed, all your micro transactions not getting charged. Mm -hmm. Like, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> uh, so the thresholds, uh, they're talking here, the game has passed a minimum revenue threshold in the last 12 months, and the game has passed a minimum lifetime install count. Okay, so lifetime is retroactive. It seems yep. like at least the revenue threshold is the past year retroactively according to how they originally set it. Um, we set the, the high revenue and install thresholds to avoid impacting those who have yet to find scale. Right? Only games that meet the threshold qualify for Unity runtime fee. And then they go into it. All right. Um, Unity Personal will remain free starting in November. Personal users will get a sign-in. Um, if the internet connection is lost, they can keep using Unity for up to three days offline. Congrats. Um, otherwise, no luck. Um, my God. I, I, okay, so this, this is basically the original announcement. Yeah. Now, after this, a lot happens, right? So the entire community goes up in flames everyone loses their minds is, 
Uh, there's lawsuits being threatened all over the place. Um, and Unity comes back with a few, like, very lukewarm statements. All right, so let, let me see if I can if I can find one of these. Yeah. Well, um, while you're pulling those up, uh, let me give my quick thing of what I think they should have done, which is, like, it's fine, you know, again, start having a different model when uh, a new engine version comes out. But also, like, you need to be so transparent about how you're counting this stuff. It can't be complicated. It can't be a black box. It can't be like, well, you know, we're maybe going to start counting things after, like, this threshold is reached, but we're not going to tell you when we think that threshold is reached. Like, it just sounds like they're just going to start sending people bills, and they'll be like, I, I disagree with this. Like, I don't think this is how many times my <laughs> game's been installed. And then you find out that, you know, someone uh, went on to a cloud service, AWS or something, and they installed your game 500,000 times and then uninstalled it and like suddenly you're hit with this giant bill and unity refusing to give any transparency on like exactly how this will be calculated is bonkers i mean it's a lot like everyone who's striking right now in the wga and sag aftra being like netflix doesn't tell us if something is successful or not we don't understand how anything is being calculated with how we get paid and it's a similar thing here there just has to be a, a very high level of transparency if you're going to propose a model like this yeah okay so Unity comes back, right? This is the the first announcement, or the first post after after this announcement, right? Um, they said we want to provide some clarifying answers to the top questions. Okay. So this is a price increase. Only affects a small subset of the, of the users. Ten percent, okay. they say. The ten percent sure, sure, most sure. successful. So today, a large majority of the editor users are not paying anything. Not affected by this change. The Unity runtime fee will not impact the majority of our developers. What's left out here is the little asterisk that says only the ones that pay, or like only the ones that have lawyers, right? Like, <laughs> okay, it's, it's it's one thing if if you know in your initial announcement you're very clear with the language to the community, the people who can't afford these things. Hey, you're you're not going to be impacted, and you really kind of coddle it. You probably could have avoided some of this backlash and, and maybe you would have had a few fights behind the scenes with some angry studios, but fine. Right. But no, you're already deep in hot water. And now what you're saying is anyone who has a platform like on Twitter, so all the game studios, all, all the, you know, important developers in the community, all of the studio heads and everything, and those people who are affected, you're not addressing their concerns at all. Yeah. Right. You're just saying, you're probably not affected. It's like, okay, okay, let's, let's, and they say that like three times here, right? Okay. So the, the developers who are impacted are those who have successful games. Um, those who are building their business don't have to worry about it. But the second you do become successful, forget it. You know, so like, why would I, as a, as a developer who is still building their business and growth, why would I want to do that on your platform, understanding that when I become successful, you can change the rules on me at any point. Right? Like That's like most people's argument as to like why they're fleeing Unity or why they claim they're fleeing Unity, right? Um, so they do clarify that, okay, the, ins the, the counter for the installs starts on January 1st, 2024. So that was not clarified in the original post. So yeah. as 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 far as everyone knew, it was lifetime, meaning, you know, since since the beginning, 
Yeah. And it becomes clear in further posts that it's because they actually don't know what this install count is or how it's done or like how they're going to track it or anything. Right. They just came out with this and then just went, you know, went for it. Right. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're just like doing the, the normal HR stuff. Right. Um, and so, um, just yesterday or, or recently, they had this post. <laughs> I like this little, <laughs> this uh, uh, subtweet here. I don't know if you can even read the top one. Um, we have heard you. We apologize for confusion and angst. The runtime fee policy we announced on Tuesday caused. We are listening, talking to our members, community, customers, and partners, and we'll be making changes to the policy. We will share an update with you in a couple of days. Thank you for your honest and critical feedback like wow just <laughs> and by the way it has technically been a couple days since that was posted <laughs> yes yes it has <laughs> um so okay taking a step back th this was a really stupid pr like and pause there real quick no one who actually works for unity especially on like the devrel teams or anything like that none of them deserve any hate or anger or death threats yeah. like you know a couple of unity's offices had to close over this this is entirely the work of the people at the top and do not take any of this out on the yeah. everyday employees of unity okay continue jacob no yeah i, I think that's important to say is that yeah. i i don't think everyone that i know at unity and within the unity community um this doesn't mesh with with them right like they're all lovely there were a people. lot there were a lot of Unity engineers and and folks within Unity who were speaking out against this to the extent they could. Um, but it was clear that this was not a decision that was well thought out or, or was really shared with, you know, internally or with the community. And um, I think it, it was pretty clear that it, no one was happy with this. Um, yeah. I, I think it's first and foremost, just an absolute PR disaster. Like. To, to not, you know, very clearly lay out that language, um, particularly because they are not operating without competition, right? It's not like Unreal Engine is some ultra premium, you know, software license like Maya that you're paying, you know, $1,500 a seat a year, right? Like, that's not their competition. Their competition is Unreal. And Unreal, you can go and look at the source code. And um, for the majority of people, it's... In, in, it's free forever, even for the films industry. They'll ch charge seats for support and stuff like that, but they're not really charging it. Yeah. Um, the only people who really pay for Unreal Engine are probably similar to the folks in Unity's bucket, um, but their pricing model is, is clearly explained, and it's very straightforward. It has none of this vagueness or, you know, kind of wish-washy installs thing, right? It's just, okay, every dollar you make over a million dollars or something, we get 14%. And if you don't like it, that's fine. At least you understand what they're offering, it to, offering to you. And like Alex said before, it's not for previous versions, right? Like it's it's just for, I think, they, they modified it with UE5. Um, and they actually made it more open uh, when they did that. Um, 
I think they raised the the limit. They raised the the threshold. I think they. I can't remember. There were a few other adjustments in there, right? Yeah, all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's all just a shame, and um, you know, I see a lot of people who are saying like, "Oh my God, we've been working on a game for two years in Unity." Uh, one example of this is uh, the folks who made Slay the Spire, really popular indie game. Um, they've been working on Unity game for two years, and based on this, they're like, "Yeah, no, we're we're done. We're we're gonna eat those costs of development and go over to something else now." And a lot of people are like, "Well, hold on, like you know, Unity might walk this back. Like, give it a second. But for a lot of people, this is a fundamental breach of trust. It's like I don't yeah. care if they walk it back. They're like a company that would even think about retroactively changing their." you know, license agreement or whatever, and, and this kind of thing. They're not a company that I want to do business with. That's what a lot of folks yeah. are saying. So I think the, hopefully the positive thing that comes out of this is it's kind of the old adage of, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. There's a lot of people who have focused their entire development career on just Unity, and it's good to diversify. It's like an investment portfolio or anything else. It's good to have multiple skills. So like, certainly, I hope that anyone who was only working in Unity, this is an excuse to go learn some Godot, to go learn some Unreal, some, I don't even know if these engines are still around anymore, but like Lumberyard and CryEngine. But like, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, for anyone who might be thinking about the Apple Vision Pro stuff, like, yeah, go learn Swift. Like, it's, it's important to have a, a wider, um, toolbox. And I think what a lot of people will pleasantly find, even if, and this is exactly what happened to me. Like I don't have a background in coding or programming. I used nothing but unity for, uh, six years really. And then as I started to learn unreal engine, it was like, Oh, this isn't as intimidating as I expected because a lot of the concepts are still the same. Like I'm, I'm dealing with if then statements in C sharp, and now I've got this branch node in unreal, which is basically the same idea. And like the, the conceptual framework that you build working in any kind of game engine is going to help you learn all the other ones. So I hope some people who are starting to uh, branch out a little bit now in the wake of this are being pleasantly surprised by finding that things are not as intimidating as they thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that um, there, I saw a lot of really interesting posts from folks in like the Godot community saying, hey, if you're looking at Godot because of this Unity situation, just make sure you look at what Godot can and cannot do before sure. you go down that rabbit hole to understand what it is and what it is not um, because it's 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 not going to be the same for everyone. Um, it's also worth highlighting that this is one of the reasons why the majority of large studios still build their own engines um, is because to have, you know, for most game companies, the, the central part of everything they do is, is a game engine. And until very recently, things like formats and, uh, you know, like open standards were not as popular, um, you know, in previous years, like it's getting a little better now where, you know, you have more accessible interchange formats. You, you can generally import and export things out of different software much easier, but for a lot of games companies, like the engine is the central piece and that underlies everything they do. Um, it's also how they potentially differentiate themselves from other people. Think about like game engines like uh, Frostbite with Dice uh, being able to you know do the large world simulation stuff that they've done with Battlefield for so long. Think about like 
what Naughty Dog does, uh, I, don't, I don't know the name of their engine, uh, oh. with, with their engine, and which allowed them to do so many unique and like novel effects in The Last of Us Part Two, right? Like, there's a reason why a lot of companies still go out and build their own engines, and, and it's because of situations like this. They can't hinge their whole business on a third-party vendor um, or a software ecosystem that they don't control. I think Unreal Engine like does a lot better job of this, which is why studios today um, are starting to consider it more. Like think about CD Projekt Red moving away from their own engine into Unreal. Yeah, I think a big part of that is because you still have the source code. It's not a black box. So you can get in there. And I, as far as I know, there are certain vendors for Unity who do get access to uh, special builds or they have you know limited access to some of the source. Um, but with Unreal, you know, it, if you're a studio and you're looking at investing in that ecosystem, you know that you can clone the engine uh, and that's been licensed and you can get in there and make any changes you need to and it becomes your own code base, right? That's a big deal. Um, so this, it's, this is tough to see um, because I do think Unity has a big place in this community um, and, and it's, it's not fun to watch it, you know, struggle with pr exactly more than yeah like i'm excited about more people trying out unreal and just giving it a shot but it it's sad that it's for this reason where they feel like they're looking for a life raft and not because they're like oh hey i think i'll you know go try out unreal out of my own free will (laughs) you know some people feel like they're being forced over to it um and some people by the way just to make it official some people thought that i had some kind of uh insight in what was going on with unity uh because of the fact that during my friday live stream before the tuesday announcement i was like announcing like oh hey i'm gonna start teaching more like public uh unreal engine classes and then over the weekend i did release a video (laughs) that was how to go from unity 3d to unreal it was a total coincidence. I was wow. How, asked, how well is that video doing? It's doing fine. It's got like a few thousand views. It should be like a million views, of course. But I think a lot of yeah. people rightly jumped onto the like, let's teach people how to do this stuff properly. But I was I was specifically asked for New York Digital Fashion Week to teach a little uh, workshop on bringing Unity assets over to Unreal. So I I was asked directly to make that video and um, just a total coincidence that it ended up being really useful for people. Um, and by the way, it's it's kind of interesting because I learned some things in there as well. Like I knew that you could right click on a map in Unreal Engine and export that map to an FBX. I did not know that on the Unity side, um, if you do an empty root actor, and thank to, thanks to Wit Sellers for uh, pointing this out to me, you can do an empty root actor in Unity drop everything in your scene into that empty root actor. And then if you uh, add in the plugin or the packages in Unity for the FBX exporter, you can then right click on that root actor. And even better than what you can do going from Unreal to other programs with Unity, you can export everything in your scene and it will take all the textures and materials and everything with it too. So it's very, very straightforward, at least from the geometry side, to rebuild your entire Unity level um, over in Unreal. So it's kind of cool. Like, you know, nice. props to Unity for making that so straightforward. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I yeah, I, I that's some funny timing. Um, it is. I'm, uh, I, I do hope they fix this. Um, I, I think it's important that they do. You know, you can only earn back that trust over time, but 
and we'll keep an eye on it. I'm sure in our next episode, there will be more announcements and we can comment on how Unity has responded to all this. Um, but boy, like it's so scummy too, like especially the notion of uh, John Riccatello selling a bunch of his Unity shares right ahead of this announcement. Like that kind of stuff yeah. just makes your skin crawl. Okay. Well, well that stuff, that's different. So yeah. like CEOs <laughs> of public companies can't just go out and sell stock. That's not how that works. Yeah. But um, yeah it's it's not a great situation for me. exactly all right let's move on to a couple happier things um i've got a couple shout outs and also for unreal yep. fest unreal fest coming soon where jacob and i are both super excited about that um hopefully we'll get this episode out soon so you're not hearing this too late but for anyone who did not see an email and is registered the lab registration is happening um 11 a.m on uh wednesday september 20th uh, the labs fill up very, very quick. This is pretty much the only thing at Unreal Fest that's not recorded. Um, so 11 a.m., there's 30 spots in every lab. I'm teaching a MetaHuman Animator one. There's stuff related to virtual production and UEFN and every category you can imagine. And if you want to get into those labs, again, really exciting, hands-on opportunity to be at a computer following along with a talented instructor, and they are not recorded. So, you know, try to get in on that if you can. It's okay to miss some of the talks unless you really want to, like, hang out with the speaker and be like, I love the part of the thing where you said this. Like, those will all be on the Unreal Engine YouTube channel uh, later. So, yeah. Are there any are there any talks or labs that are, are really exciting you, Jacob, that you're looking forward to? Well, I gotta make it to yours, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the right answer? Uh, no, um, I, I don't know. I actually haven't looked at the full catalog. I, I got to check that out. I, I haven't planned out my schedule yet for um, Unreal Fest, um, but I'm, I'm very excited for it. It's always a good time. Cool. All right. Um, let's uh, do a couple quick shout outs. Um, the thing that's been catching my eye the most lately, and now I got to remember how to do this screen share thing, um, screen share. Walk me through real quick, Jacob, how you did your screen share. <laughs> At the bottom right, there's oh, a little yeah. screen icon. There you it got is. It. There it is. Great. Okay. Boop. Thanks again to Light Twist for uh, giving us this lovely studio to play in. Um, so there is a guy who kind of came out of nowhere and was the the talk of the town. Uh, can you see my screen? Uh, you gotta assign it to screen share one. I got oh, it. Oh, screen share one. Great. Thanks. Do, 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 do. Great. Uh, yeah, and let's. Yeah, there we go. So, oh, and I should have changed the the pre the proportions on my screen because I'm on a widescreen monitor. But uh, I'll I think zoom in this. like this. Alex uh, Leva is building this thing called Reverie AI, and it's this really cool plugin that I I hope isn't all just smoke and uh, and fireworks. That seems to be a method for taking a photo and basically saying like, hey. I really like the look of this photo and then allowing you to basically extract using AI lighting, fog, weather, all sorts of cool stuff from that photo wow. and then replicate it in Unreal Engine. And some of the effects he's demonstrating are cool things that are like, you know what, it actually is really hard to do that naturally in Unreal. Like it's difficult to have fog that looks like it's coming more from the sky and less from the ground. Um, and it's just a, a very cool application of AI uh, and, and not taking anyone's job away, but just making uh, someone's life easier in Unreal. It's like, you've got that reference. Maybe it's something you made in Mid Journey. That's fine too. Or you took a photo and you really like everything going on there 
and uh, you just want to bring that mood into here. We're doing this kind of stuff right now. Like I'm, I'm generating all sorts of stuff of uh, Victorian London in Mid Journey because we're trying to capture a certain kind of effect for this year's production of Christmas Carol. And like, I'd love to be using this tool. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll reach out to Alex at some point and say like, hey, can I, uh, can I get in on that? Get a little bit of a, a beta test? Because um, all the stuff he's been posting is really good, you know? Yeah, wow. Very yeah, cool. Especially the fog stuff. Um, there was a cool test he was doing the other day with, uh, yeah, here's local volumetric fog, which I mentioned earlier. So this is a little bit more, as it says, like localized for where you put it, uh, which is really nice for kind of drawing the eye to a certain area. Uh, and yeah, as he zooms out there, you can see it's a little bit more circular. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I have a shout out this week. Oh, you cool. do? Great. All right, let me stop. Uh, actually, let me do my one other shout out and yeah, then yeah. Um, I'll, we'll go over to you because I only have two. Um, just some a general trend I've been seeing lately and I have no idea if this is made in Unreal or Unity or Godot or whatever, but VR, there's like some golden rules of what like you should and shouldn't do in VR. And of course, rule number one is don't make people motion sick. Uh, but that being said, I think what a lot of developers are discovering is it isn't always the things that you think are going to make people motion sick that do. And this is an interesting little game uh, that I've been seeing some previews for. I think the game is called Break Free. It's a BMX game. And like at a glance, it looks like this would be incredibly nauseating. And yet I have done things like this in VR, even with my own development pipeline, where I'm like, you know what, for some reason, this feels totally fine. And uh, it might have to do with my own sea legs, so to speak. But um, yeah, there's a, I, I think it's great that people are starting to be a little bit more experimental and breaking out of the, the, the golden rules of thou shalt not you know, move a player in a surprising way, for example, in VR. So I, I look forward to following more developments like that. Awesome. Cool. All right. So this, the, the folks... I want to shout out the authors of this paper. Have mm, you seen this out? I have. I'm so excited about Gaussian splatting. Yeah, this is really cool. This this so this came out a few weeks ago now. Um, so shout out to the authors of this paper, all of whose names I would absolutely butcher if I tried. Let's say their first um, names: Bernard, Georgios, Thomas, George. Good job. <laughs> George, I think George and Thomas. Okay. <laughs> Bernard, I can do that. Okay. Well, okay. Regardless, uh, shout out to these folks. Um, this is an incredible paper. Um, and there's a few really nice um, summaries of it online. Um, if you don't follow the YouTube channel Two Minute Papers, oh, yeah. Go and subscribe to that right now. Because uh, Two Minute Papers on YouTube, incredible channel, um, highlights some really nice research uh, uh, and, and papers out in in the wild go do that now if you haven't done it anyway um so there was a highlight on this paper as well which is how high i initially found out about it um but essentially you know uh, i want to say six months to a year ago um nerfs kind of hit the scene so nerfs are neural radiance field um like rendering uh and, and so what you do is and we've talked about this, I think, on previous episodes, but you take some photos and instead of using photogrammetry where you're kind of trying to triangulate points in space um, based on the images, you're using uh, AI to create a, a kind of volumetric representation of the objects um, based on 
uh, um, you know, model that you, you train and develop. Now, this method is... Blows it away. <laughs> blows it away entirely. So the, if you're watching this, uh, I'm, mod I'm moving the slider here on the top left of, of a scan of a bicycle. Um, and it's, it's night and day. So like you can see these bushes in the background, which are f super fuzzy with standard nerfs, and then just become crisp clear as day with this with this method same with things like uh, there's a bicycle in in this image uh, and the spokes on the bicycle were traditionally that would be an extraordinarily difficult thing for nurse or photogrammetry to capture this it looks almost perfect um like you would be pretty hard t pressed to tell the difference between this and an image um in in any of these stills uh however <clears throat> you can rotate this this is you know this is a radiant shield you can generate arbitrary view viewpoints of this scene yeah. uh which is just incredible so cool now one of the most impressive thing so uh, let me give you maybe my best uh, uh estimation of how this works um from <laughs> i have not been able to read this paper i'm not that good um you know god bless the folks who, who can really get deep in these things um i'll, I'll leave it to them to to describe it um, but Gaussian splatting is essentially you take Gaussians, which are like ellipses. Think of them as like 3D planes or ellipses. Yeah. People often and, hear that word when they're talking about blurring. Gaussian blurring is a common thing. Yeah. So essentially what this is doing is it's a, this like splatting term is you're taking these Gaussians and you're attempting to approximate the, the important pieces of the scene using those primitives. Right. So... Uh, uh, it's taking the images and attempting to kind of highlight the important areas of detail using this Gaussian splatting technique. Now, how that's done in 3D space, beyond me, right? <laughs> but I just want to kind of give you a mental image there, right? Now, the, one of the most impressive things about this is the training time, right? So this whole thing is done where it it's faster to render. So their um, their method can render these viewpoint view uh, viewpoints at 167 frames a second versus a handful of frames a second with the previous yeah. method. Incredible, in absolutely incredible. This is near real time or real time, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on what kind of GPU you have, right? Okay, pretty crazy. Um, and then it also takes a fraction of the time to train. And part of the reason for that is because they actually do away with a great deal of the actual neural components uh, in this method where you're not really training the underlying uh, uh, visualization. That's all done with this Gaussian splat splatting technique. So what it means is that it barely needs to be trained. It's almost real time and the results are just way better. And it, <laughs> it's just incredible. Yeah, uh, It's just absolutely incredible kind of where we are at. It's like someone made a new JPEG file format that is one fifth the size of JPEG and like loads quicker or something. Yeah, it and looks like, just as good, if not better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, incredible. Um, so I definitely recommend you you check out this paper. Um, I I really want to do a deep dive. For those who are watching here, I'll show you a, a nice three D yeah. view, right? Like in real time. Yeah, this this would be unprecedented. Um, just a year ago.
Like this is absolutely impossible. You would have needed to spend hundreds or thousands of man hours cleaning up volumetric scans to get something even close to as good as this, right? Now, to be clear, this is not a 3D model. It's a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not always clear, but essentially you could think of this as it's using a, a neural model to generate each frame based on some underlying representation um, that really humans don't fully understand um, <laughs> or we can't really directly interpret. Um, that said, you can take this underlying representation and you can do things like, um, uh, like what's the, the term I'm looking for? Like um, you can, you can do things like voxel, like, like oh, sure. uh, you can like, uh, there's a specific term I'm looking for that's escaping, but you, you can fit a 3D model to a nerf like into one of these representations so like there are services out there like um, luma and, and a few others that are capable of taking these nerf representations and generating geometry but they will not look this good think of this as like and, and i think I, i'm pretty sure i've given this example already on the podcast but like let's say your wedding in 30 years right like maybe not even 30 let's say five ten years right like think about this as like the ultimate like capturing method where like if you had the ability to capture a an environment at you know 60 frames a second with a bunch of cameras and then you can have any arbitrary viewpoint after the fact and you can go in there you can record your own camera paths and and you can go into vr and rewatch the whole thing as if you're there and it's not you know 360 video this is entirely immersive and, and yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're looking at. Um, and I think that's incredible. So, okay. So this Jacob, also handles dynamic relighting too. I don't know if I mentioned that you can relight this. It's incredible. So the thing I think a lot of our audience is wondering is, okay, cool. How long until I can see something like this in unreal engine? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> question. So it's, it's fundamentally different than the way like unreal works right yeah. so unreal I, is I, to a, be fair i thought that about nerfs and yet lume ai made a very nice nerf plugin for unreal yeah yeah and i i'm there are definitely ways of rendering this in real time as you can see like we're, we're seeing it um the big difference is like unreal engine is traditionally a rasterizer so like it expects triangles Mm-hmm. There are no triangles here. You can generate triangles, and I'm not sure. Uh, there are a few really nice voxel plugins for Unreal Engine as well mm-hmm. um, that extend the, the the actual rendering pipeline to enable um, different types of rendering primitives and rendering styles. Um, the way I would think about this, though, it, it, is like think about, um, for example, like VR scouting. Or think about, you know, you're in virtual production and you want a background, right? Like you can go out there and capture something that is this good. That's a huge advantage. Like if this makes sense for games, it'll make, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't know. It will be really cool if you go out and like capture your backyard and then you upload it. And all of a sudden your your game takes place in your backyard. Like, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Um, but I would definitely think of this more uh, in the entertainment like the same thing apple is doing with their 3d video right like think of this as like a way of capturing an environment um uh, you know for for the a, a record or i i don't know 
I, I'm, I'm assuming the the kind of end use cases for this will be pretty unlimited. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that's that's my main shout out for this. That's one. a good one. Uh, that's a great one. I've been blown away seeing everything people have been posting. Some people have. Uh, oh, actually, and you know what? Someone did actually get this running in Unity. So if they can do it in Unity, it has to be possible in Unreal. Um, I've seen some people get it working in VR with Steam VR. I can't wait to look at that myself. Um, the potential here for things like ArcViz capturing, you know, yeah. as-built site conditions is, is really remarkable. Um, once again, this is a great example, like Lightfields first introduced, where things like reflections, really complex ways that rays of light are bouncing off of different surfaces, that all gets captured here. And it's all going to just render way, way faster than like a traditional, you know, uh, let's say Unreal Engine scene that has like full-blown ray tracing on. So uh, I'm excited about imagining a future where these kinds of scans can start to make their way into like games and enterprise applications and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, the, there's so much that could be said about something like that. Uh, all right, I think we're just about at the end here, Alex. What do you say? I think we are. We're at about our usual time. Um, don't say it's been about an hour, Jacob, because it has not been about an hour. <laughs> it's been about an hour. It's been about an hour 20 is usually what I say, right? Yeah. It's been about an hour 20. That's well, great. thank you guys. Uh, for those of you who, who, who have listened all the way to the end, we very much appreciate it. Make sure you like, rate, comment, subscribe, shout at us, You know, yeah. show up at Unreal Fest. Come shout at us. Please do. If you'd like the podcast. If you don't like it, don't shout at us. No. Um, don't yell at us, especially. <laughs> and we will see you on the next episode. And uh, yes, we'll see you next time. Thanks for uh, reading this out, Jacob, in a much cleaner way than me. And uh, thanks to Alan. <laughs> thanks to Vikas. Thanks to the Light Twist team. See you all next time. Cheers. <laughs> all right. Just stop recording. Oh, yeah, you press go. record oh, after. Oh, that was, oh, geez. I hope we didn't like overwrite ourselves or something. <laughs> okay. Be tragic. Yeah. All right.